today I was actually just driving in the truck coming back from um, from the gym, and the Lord spoke to myself. He it spoke to me. He said, He said, a red October is coming. I said, Okay, red October is coming. What do you mean by that? So I'm just sitting there and I'm dialoguing within my spirit. A red October, red October. So. I think the Lord is trying to let me know here that there's a significance to the month of October. So I go, okay, Lord, you got to give me more than that. We're just going to, we're just going to sit here and talk about, um, the month of October. It's all you're going to give me is a red October, but see when the Lord speaks to you prophetically and also like, and share the broadcast guys, it's very important. I believe that people are going to get, it's actually just need to be heard what I'm going to say. Okay. I believe people need to pray into what I'm about to say and stuff like that and take it to the Lord. When a word is released, guys, take it to the Lord. All right. What I'm about to say, take to the Lord, see if your spirit bears witness to it. Spirit bears witness to the spirit, right? Spirit of the prophet subject to the spirit of the prophet, right? So I got to sit here and I got to release this and you do with, with it what you, what you want. You can listen to it. You can take heed or you can just throw it away and keep living life. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be obedient because I believe the Lord wants me to release this. So he was talking to me about the month of, uh, about the month of October and he said the word red October. Okay, so I'm driving down the road. I'm like, all right, Lord, red October, you got to give me a little bit more on this word. So sometimes the Lord, when he gives you a word, he wants you to search search out things, look in the scriptures, uh, look at the news, look at what's going on. The clip you just heard was from a, a recent broadcast that was done, a prophetic word on the Supernatural Life channel by Daniel Adams, who is a professing deliverance minister and revivalist. This word was released September 16th of 2022, so not that long ago, a few weeks ago. And in that, he talked about, as you heard, that the Lord, he alleges, told him the month of October would be a red October. Today, we're going to be looking at what he said. We're going to be listening to several clips from this, and we're also going to be evaluating some of the things that he's saying and testing it against scripture, of course. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, you're going to know that's what's coming and also, we're going to look at some details surrounding his own testimony because there is a, um, a big concern that I have with this entire thing that goes on in the prophetic ministry and using this as an example and some other things that are alluded to as far as holiness and consecration when talking to people and about the true gospel and what people mean by that surrendering. There's going to be several different aspects we're going to touch on on this. Stick with me as we go through this word, evaluate it and test it against scripture, along with some other aspects of what Daniel Adams teaches. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Well, if you've been following this podcast for any length of time, you may have noticed that there was not an episode last week. And the reason being is because we had a yearly family vacation we take, and I made the decision to take the week off and to rest with my family, and it was very enjoyable, and we did have some relaxing moments, although sometimes, I don't know about you, it seems like vacation wears you out more than not going on vacation. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was still enjoyable, so I'm glad to be back with you guys today, and picking back up and going full steam ahead with more topics. There's more to come in the, in the weeks to come. I can assure you these are going to be some interesting topics, uh, to say the least, so I hope that you've stayed in the Word and that you are ready to um, dig more into the Word each week as we look at different topics and that you're growing more in spiritual maturity and learning more and always hungering and thirsting after the word of God, after his righteousness, and that you're sharing the gospel with other people every chance you get. Today's topic is going to be about the prophetic. This is something that I am familiar with. I used to run in these circles. I was known as a prophet. For, for those of you who have listened to this podcast, I was considered a prophet in this movement. And uh, one of the things that I came across recently, it just popped up in my YouTube feed, and it may be because I look at other people's stuff and it's kind of similar things, was Daniel Adams. Daniel Adams came out last month with a prophetic word, the Red October. And so I clicked on it and listened to it and immediately thought, mm, yep, this is the next topic I'm going to cover. So we're going to jump into this right now, take a look at it, and I'm going to be going uh, to another video here during that time uh, looking at his personal testimony, because again, there is something that's really significant, I, I, I believe is missing from all of this, and it's not to be condemning or anything like that, but I want to offer these things for consideration, to look at them from a biblical perspective, to whenever anybody mentions scripture, we need to be opening our Bibles and reading along, and we need to be good Bereans. 
Now, when Daniel released this word in September, he talked about the red October. And as you heard in the clip in the beginning, he said that the Lord kept speaking to his heart about the month of October as he was driving back from the gym. And it struck me the way he was talking to the Lord. And I can recall cringingly enough, I can recall talking to the Lord in this same way. It's like talking to an old friend or, you know, one of your buddies or something. And you don't really have, there's, it seems like that there's a lack of reverence when you're referring to God. And so he basically says, he told the Lord, you're going to have to give me more than that. I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine now talking to God in that way, in the, in that type of capacity. At, at any rate, he continues on and he says that some of the things that stood out to him um, as far as red was he started to go look in uh, to Google certain things. So he started looking at the stock market and noticed that it was in the red. And then he saw another article that talked about that that we were going to be going from a uh, that there was a highly like high likelihood that we would be going from a recession to a depression, and then he touched on for several minutes about the political aspect, the political arena in the United States and about the midterms that were coming up because next month in our country in the United States are the midterm elections. So there were several things he threw out, and then he said he looked up the movie Red October. And I know that I have heard words in the past where people have referred to the movie The Hunt for Red October in regards to a prophetic word. I've heard this before. I know you've heard this probably before. Uh, This is not surprising that someone would bring this up. It's actually pretty expected in the prophetic because a lot of people are looking for these signs or they're they're trying to read some prophetic meaning into things in culture, in movies, in colors and different things that go on and in all the different in society and lots of different things that can be used to try to read into a prophetic meaning out of them and try to say that God is speaking through those things. So Daniel Adams shares on this broadcast, he shares a brief synopsis of the movie The Hunt for Red October that's based on an event that did not have a fictional event in November of 1984 where that where the USSR's best submarine captain violated orders and headed for the United States in a new undetectable submarine. And the American military and the CIA were to determine if he was defecting or starting a war, which Daniel says he was defecting. So he goes on to talk about this more throughout this broadcast he's doing through the prophetic word. Now, I want to stop there for just a second and interject a few things before we go on with some other video clips from this prophetic word that he released. Just to kind of give you an idea, I alluded to the fact I've personally heard people mention the Red October before in years past as prophetic words. I went just out of curiosity to go look and see if there were any other recent words that had come out with the the Red October. And lo and behold, I actually found two that I wanted to mention to you today. The first one was delivered in October of 2021. And this was another self-professing prophet. And she declared that God told her it was a red October. And she began to refer to the blood of Jesus, to the Red Sea, that red was uh, a symbol of passion, that it represented the Russian Revolution. And she elaborated on that a little bit. So there was that prophetic word. There was also another prophetic word last year for the month of uh, October that was released September 21st of 2021 by Laura Allison of Celebration Ministries. And she also prophesied that there would be the hunt for Red October. And I wanted to read a little bit of that to you just to kind of give you an idea of what she said. As they were talking about this movie, they mentioned the fact that there were things going on that people were listening and identifying the sounds that no one else could hear and interpret. And they mentioned the name of the movie. They go on to say, quote, We are in just such a time. We don't know all that is going on or what will happen. We are aware of global danger and distress, and we feel deeply the weight of the time that we are in. Our world and our way of life are threatened. We must trust our commander-in-chief. We must trust the orders given. And we must trust the outcome, no matter how rocky the ride, will work for our good, personal, national, and global. And so in prayer, they talk about that the Lord reminded them to pray and gave them a prophetic word according to a, a, a certain passage of Scripture, which there's there's nothing wrong with calling people to pray. And that was one of the things that Daniel did. And, and I'm thankful that he called people to pray. Um, and he also mentioned nuclear war. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute because that's important of what he talked about. It's interesting to me that, again, when you look at a lot of these, quote, prophetic words, they're very vague. And when you look at 
Old Testament prophets, even New Testament prophets, they were not vague like this. Prophecy, even if it was not fully understood at the time, especially if it was foretelling of the Messiah, it was still clear. It was not muddy like this. It was not vague. It was not these generalities. And I'm going to say this, and it's the reason why I titled this episode, what Daniel Adams did, unfortunately, and this happens in the prophetic movement, he engaged in what we would call a shotgun approach, or I would call a buckshot, because buckshot does come out of shotguns. So it's almost as if just like shooting out all these different things. Oh, the Red October, the Lord spoke to me in Red October. You know, it could be this. It could be the, the stock market's red. It could be going into depression. It could be Russia. It could be nuclear war. It could be red heifers. I, again, I'm saying things that I didn't say a minute ago, but I'm going to get into these a little bit more and give you some more in detail and biblical understanding of these things because Sometimes there's mystery that surrounds these things, and we're trying to read into these these things and looking for the prophetic additional prophecy to them. But we need to understand the biblical prophetic understanding first and make sure that we are not being led astray or being distracted by these things. So what he engaged in was a shotgun approach. Let's say the words Red October. Let's throw some different possibilities out. And then when one of them sticks or it hits something, then we can say, oh, well, God confirmed this word. And that's what he did yesterday. He made a, a follow-up video, talked about nuclear war because he mentioned nuclear war. And, you know, this was confirming to him that this was true, that God gave him this word. Now, as he goes on, um, in this video, he said that God nudged him and said, you have influence, you've got to go and talk about this. So at about eight minutes into this prophetic word that he delivers, he has this to say about prayer, about the importance of prayer with this word. I believe the Lord was bringing me to that movie just to see that there is the ability, guys, through prayer and through humility to stop, okay, to stop this stuff from happening. I believe us as a church have extreme power and ability to stop what is coming all right even if something if, even if, i'm not a doom and gloom guy i believe the power the power of god is much stronger than the enemy i believe a unified church can stop what's coming i'm warning you though i'm here giving a prophetic warning that in october if, if we as a church do not start praying against against the powers that be i don't think the october the month of october is going to be very fun i don't that was one thing that he mentioned again pray if you want to get on and, and call people to pray because of concerns that are going on that you obviously see going on in the news, such as the financial issues that it could be putting a burden on people, that you see that there are leaders that are engaging in certain um, behaviors, that they are inciting wars or a threat of nuclear war or different things. Yes, by all means, pray. At the same time, to tell the church, and this is, again, another thing that goes on in the prophetic movement, telling the church, almost in a guilt trip type way, if you don't pray and you don't listen to the mouthpiece that's coming to you, then whatever bad happens is your fault. And there is a complete negating of the sovereignty of God in the midst of all of this. The, the power does not rest in us. God has given us the privilege and the opportunity as believers to pray. And when we pray according to the will of God, and we are praying, praying as Jesus is praying, because he is ever interceding. Remember, he is our prophet, priest, and king. And scripture lays this out over and over and over again. There's types and shadows in the Old Testament of alluding to Jesus being the, the prophet, priest, and king. And we see this fulfilled in the New Testament when he comes. And we know that he, as it is resurrection, he is now at the right hand of God. He is ever interceding for his people. He is the the prophet that we know Hebrews 1 talks about, that in the last days that we now receive what Jesus is saying, that he is He is the final word. We know that he is the king that will rule and reign. He's reigning now, and he is going to reign forever and ever. Okay, So we know all this, and we know that the word tells us that he has made us uh, priests and kings because we are adopted into the family of God if our faith is in Christ to save us and to reconcile us back to the Father. So these are all things that we need to understand, but unfortunately, there's there's this guilt trip and this burden, this pharisaical burden that's placed on people in these movements of going, not just saying, well, let's, un let's understand biblically why we should be a praying people, why we need to trust in the Lord, why we petition God, not decree and declare and command and demand, but why we, what biblical prayer looks like. 
rather than saying that, it's, well, I'm giving you this word. And let me also say this. He prefaced it at the beginning was saying, well, no, you know, just take it to the Lord. After he's already made it clear, the Lord told him this. So again, another thing in the prophetic, whether it's intentional or unintentional, because I don't know his intentions. I don't know his heart, the intentions of his heart or his motives. But I do know what goes on in this movement. So when you tell people that, you know, well, the Lord told me this, you're setting up the whole fundamental, you're, you're setting up the foundation, first of all, that God spoke to you and that you are not to question it. And if you dare question it, you're questioning God. So that's the first thing. That's, that's one of the massive issues with the modern prophetic movement. When you say something like this, you need to understand that God speaking is authoritative. God never speaks unauthoritatively. So when you, I'm just saying collectively, when you say, God told me this, there's no wiggle room out of that to say that God is not authoritative. When you say God speaks, we are to follow and obey. So he is setting that up. And he, and he tells people at the beginning, you know, well, you can, you know, just take it to the Lord, you know, test it against your spirit and taking scripture out of context and not putting it in the proper context for understanding in first Corinthians 14 about the, the spirit of the prophet, it, prophet is subject to the prophets. It'd be nice to understand the context of that. I would understand, I would encourage you to do some Bible study on first Corinthians 14. Maybe we'll do that sometime and go through that entire chapter. And then he goes on to say, well, you know, if you don't want to receive it, you know, then you can just go on with your life and, you know, do all this and do that to make it sound like you're not really that spiritual. Again, I don't know what his intentions are. You can draw conclusions from someone saying that and that it's not allowed to be tested, but it is to be tested. (laughs) We are to test everything. And just because we test it and we reject it does not mean that we're less spiritual or that we don't have the Holy Spirit. If anything, that should help us to see that the Holy Spirit wants us to test things because he doesn't want us being blown around by everything that comes through and someone saying God said it when God didn't say it. That's one thing he talked about, that if we don't pray, the month of October will not be fun. And so my question would be, do we believe that God is sovereign in the midst of all of this, that we also have the opportunity to pray, but that God is sovereign? And about the nine-minute mark, he talks about the red heifers from Texas to the that were sent from Texas to the Israel Institute. Now, I want to land on this for a few minutes because you may have heard about this and you may not. And there's been talk through over the years um, where there's going to be a third temple built, and the the Temple Institute has taken years. The Israel Institute they they want to rebuild the third temple. There's issues in Israel and Jerusalem where the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim temple, is built where the original temple was. There's the Wailing Wall, which is the remaining portion of the second temple that was built. That's all that's left after um, Rome came in and destroyed that in 70 A.D. So that's all that's left of the second temple. So now there's this whole thing of of having every uh, piece of furniture and everything to rebuild the third temple. And, you know, a lot of people eschatologically want to, they they go back to, you know, the Antichrist will seat himself in the third temple and this will fulfill revelation. And there's a lot of moving parts to this that we just can't get into today. But I wanted to read a little bit to you from a source I found about this, the significance of the red heifer in the Bible. Now, also understand, too, the red heifer is talked about in the Old Testament in Numbers 19. This was one of the sacrifices that was offered as a cleansing or purification sacrifice for sin. And the ashes of the red heifer were needed for the purification of the Israelites from uncleanness. So this was to meet the requirements of the Old Testament law was to offer this red heifer to accomplish this purification. And because the red heifer ashes were necessary for this purification ritual at the temple, many have taken this, um, the appearance of the red heifer today as the introduction or the heralding of the construction of the third temple and the return of Christ. So on this one article, I wanted to read this to you. It says, according to rabbinical tradition, there had been nine red heifers sacrificed since Moses' time. Since the destruction of the second temple, no red heifers have been slaughtered. And it mentions different rabbis that have talked about this over the years that there was one in the um, 1100s to 1200s that taught that the 10th red heifer would be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. The Temple Institute 
um, that is advocating for the construction of the Third Temple, they reported about the five flawless red heifers from Texas that arrived there in September of this year. And there are many that view this as an, a, a fulfillment of prophecy and that this this is a, a, a large step in the direction of building the third temple. Let me also say this. When we go to look at a little bit of scripture with this, there are specific details that are needed in order for the red heifer to fulfill being the spotless heifer that was is without spot or blemish. Some of these are listed on another site I found about the Messianic Bible. So I wanted to point some of these out to you. Um, The red heifer must be absolutely perfect in its redness. Even two hairs of any other color will disqualify it. Even its hooves must be red. It was to be three or four years old. Although older animals could be used, younger could not. It must be free of any kind of internal or external defect or blemish. It must not have been used for any type of physical labor and must have never been placed under a yoke, not even once. And so in order for this this heifer to qualify as the red heifer, um, it had to meet requirements outlined in Numbers 19 and also in the writings of the oral tradition of the Talmud. So there were different qualifications, not only in the, the scriptures, but also in the Jewish oral traditions that it had to meet. So we don't know yet if these five heifers, they have to be inspected and pass the test in order to see. And even then the question is, well, does that mean that that this solidifies that the, all these events are going to happen? No. It doesn't. And the slaughtering of the red heifer and the ashes of the red heifer, this whole sacrifice is type and shadow of Christ. Christ has already fulfilled this. I mean, let's not miss that whole aspect of this. That That's pretty important right there. Whenever we're looking at something that's mentioned in the Old Testament, we need to be asking, where is Christ in this? How does this glorify God? How is this pointing to Christ? Because there are lots of things in the Old Testament that are type and shadow of Jesus Christ. As we go, you go into Numbers 19 and read about this, you're going to see that this is mentioned about this red heifer. And as I go on reading this article for you on gotquestions.org, it says, the commands concerning the red heifer were yet another foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ for believers' sin. The Lord Jesus was without blemish, just as the red heifer was to be. As the heifer was sacrificed outside the camp, that's in Numbers 19.3, Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. We see that in Hebrews 13, 11 through 12. And just as the ashes of the red heifer cleanse people from the contamination of death, so the sacrifice of Christ saves us from the penalty and corruption of death. So we can see this here that this is pointing to Christ. He's already done this. We don't need the red heifer. This is something that those that do not believe that the Messiah has already come, they're wanting to fulfill this. And those that hold to a rapture, must a red heifer be found before the rapture occurs? No, Jesus could could return at any moment. And the rapture is not contingent on this. And the red heifer is not contingent about uh, the temple being rebuilt. You know, there's different aspects of this. So we are to be looking for Christ. We, We are to be focused on him and not these other things. It's good to be aware of these things and to be aware of end times prophecy and to be paying attention to what scripture has to say about that. But we are instructed as believers just to be ready. And we are to be about the Father's business. We are, we are to be ministering the gospel, making disciples, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and making sure that, that we are glorifying him in word and deed in all that we do. That's what we are to be doing. So I hope that that helps. I encourage you to, if you're interested in this, um, I will leave the links for this and you can read some more about this to help you. Now, as we go on through what Daniel Adams said, he goes on to say this about the 11 minute mark about the church. I think this will also be a checkup for the church. Okay, a check for the church. Because let me tell you something. Let's just be totally real right now. A lot of these people, guys, a lot of these people in the church are, are, are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're still talking the same way pre-C-19. They come back over here after C-19, and they're doing the same thing. They're, they're talking the same way. Nothing changed. They didn't, they, they didn't change course. They didn't get fear of the Lord in their heart. They stayed the same, all right? I, I believe in the month of October, and I've heard other prophets even say this, is there, the, the church will change. I believe that we'll see a change. We'll see an exposure. Uh, red October, uh, what does red mean? Red means warning. Red means, hey, stop. Red, red means blood. Red means war. Red means I'm about to fight anger. Red means a lot of things. Red is not a good color a lot of times, okay? Red is a very alertful color. It's a color that's used to alert people, all right? So I'm just here to tell you 
that I don't even know if a bunch of this, the majority of the church is ready for when the end times hit, for when things hit, okay? I, I believe that there could be a shaking coming in the month of October for the church if we don't pray, if we don't, if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't seek the Lord, if we don't ask the Lord to forgive us for not, for, not, for not doing how we're supposed to do, you know? And I'm not saying that people aren't doing that. A lot of people are doing that, okay? But in the month of October, there could be exposure. There could be some big ex- exposure coming even to the church, all right? Now, I have a question, because it seems kind of... Um double-minded, I guess, might be a good word. Maybe there's a better word to use when he's talking because he keeps talking about, well, you know, red means warning and anger and blood and alert, and there's a shaking possible if the church doesn't pray. But then he goes on to say, well, there are some people that are praying. And I found myself going, well, how many people does it take? How many believers does it take to not see a shaking? I mean, how many? Is there a certain percentage? Is there a number of people? Because you're saying, well, some people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, but then the others aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, what are they supposed to be doing is the question. Um, that's very, again, very vague and very generalized. And I'm going to get into that um, as far as what he's pointing to, because he does, you know, allude to that uh, too about the holiness and consecration and people not sinning and doing, you know, A, B, and C and doing these things. And we need to talk about that and address that. And I do believe that there's going to be exposure mentioned. Uh, he mentioned exposure, and I do believe that exposure is taking place. And false teaching is going to be exposed. So I think that that is important as well. Now, he does focus on the United States in this word. And I just want to point this out and just state the obvious. We are not the only nation in the earth. Um, I think I've mentioned this before in other broadcasts, but unfortunately, there seems to be this thought process, again, unintentional, intentional, that the United States is like made equivalent to Israel in a way, that that God's made a covenant with the United States. God never made a covenant with the United States. There, that's not in the Bible. That That's not something we focus on. We are to make disciples individually, and this will uh, essentially go affect in the into the nations because people are part of nations. But we're not United States is not under a covenant with God, okay? The covenant that Christ made is for people that will come to him and have faith in him to save them from the wrath of God and to be reconciled and adopted into God's kingdom, God's family, and to become his children and to no longer be children of disobedience or children of wrath or children that are following after Satan and his ways in rebellion and sin against God. This is what we need to be focusing on. Again, the the glaring thing we'll talk about at the end that I think is missing, it's a huge piece that's missing in all of this. And And what's sad is that it's the very thing that we were commanded to do in Scripture. But what he thinks is the gospel and what the Word says is the gospel are not matching up. So that's the first thing we need to remember is that if you're a mem- if you're a United States citizen, just keep this in mind. The second thing is as believers, we are told to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of Christ. Please keep that in mind. Now, as we go on through his prophetic word about 13 minutes in, a little bit over, he says we are to become the word and actually know Jesus is the word, not us. So, just so you can hear him say this, I'm going to play it. This is why we need to pray. This is why we need to know the word, okay? The Bible tells us to hide the word in our heart. We need our, the word needs to be in our heart, guys, not just in a book that you're reading. Uh, his word needs to be written on your heart. You need to become the word. You need to know the word. Yeah, so we don't become the word. And that may have just been um, a slip on his part and in, in not saying that correctly. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Uh, but we don't become the word, Jesus is the Word. John 1 1 makes that clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is helping us understand that Jesus is eternal. He was not a thought in God's mind, Jesus was preeminent. He was in the beginning. He created the world. Colossians 1 makes that clear. Jesus is God. He is truly God and truly man. He came and fulfilled what we could not do. He fulfilled the law and the words of the prophets. He did not destroy them or do away with them. He fulfilled them. He lived perfectly without sin. He obeyed the Father and he died on the cross and he rose again and he lives forever and he reigns forever and he is coming back again. He is returning again, and he is going to rule and reign forever and ever. And never once was he a created being, and and Daniel Adams didn't say that, but I'm just making this clear that he is the word. 
He is the word. Now, I do agree with him. We should have God's word written on our hearts. I agree with that. I'm Thank you, Daniel Adams, for saying that. Yes, we need to have the word written on our hearts. But that's not the same as saying, well, we need to, that we are the word. We don't become the word. I'm, I'm, I cannot express that enough. We do not become the word. But what we do need to do is meditate on the word of God and to value his word. I mean, Psalm 119.11, the, the psalmist there in Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so it is very important that we understand such as passages like that, that are putting an emphasis on the purifying quality of the word of God to keep us as believers from, from sinning, from going into sinning, a sinful behavior, a sinful act. The word of God is vital for us. That is why we need to be storing up the word of God in our hearts so that we can know what what pleases God, what he loves, what he hates, and that we can walk in obedience and be led by the Spirit. Uh, the Word keeps us from, from straying into sin. And so when we look at this, we can see in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, when Paul is talking about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and that he gave himself up for her, uh, that he might sanctify her, which sanctification is setting apart, and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. So God's Word, I love how um, Got Questions put this, is God's Word is the agent of his spirit used to cleanse the hearts of all who believe in Christ and are saved. And it is through keeping God's word securely planted in our hearts and living according to what it says that believers continue to walk in holiness. And that is how we continue to walk in holiness, by knowing his word and being led by the spirit. You can't know God's heart and how to walk if you don't read the word of God. You, you'll make things up. You'll, be, you'll think that God said something when it's not even in his word, and you'll attribute something to him, and you'll say, well, this is God's heart, and so this is how I'm going to walk, when it negates and it con- contradicts his word. That's why you need to have his word written on your heart, so you know how to obey him. As believers, we're to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. We don't do that in and of ourselves. We do that by proclaiming his word, and we cannot do this without reading his word and knowing what his word says. How do we have his word written on our hearts? Well, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we need to read his word. We need to, to read it. We need to listen to it. We need to study it. We need to write it down. And we need to talk about it with fellow believers. We talk about it with family, with friends. We talk about it with our children. We need to meditate on his word. This is how we're um, transformed and the, our minds are renewed, as Romans 12, 2 talks about, because we are reading his word. We are meditating on it. We are chewing on it, so to speak. Uh, metaphorically, we're chewing on it. We're digesting it. We're treasuring it. We're thinking on it continually. And, and it, in doing so, that's bringing transformation to us. We're not meditating on everything else around us, but we're, we're sitting there and contemplating and thinking on what his word means and studying it and reading it and, and talking about it and thinking upon it and hiding it in our hearts. That's, that's all those different aspects is giving us an understanding of what we do as believers in understanding how to walk as a believer in Christ and glorifying Christ. Now, Daniel Adams continues to talk about repentance, and he mentions the verbiage of needing to proclaim the true gospel. And this is where I want to interject with his personal testimony, because the concern that I have is that he doesn't state what the gospel is. Never once did I hear him state the gospel here. I listened to a 48-minute long uh, testimony that he gave at uh, Vlad Savchuk's ministry, which is another deliverance minister. He shares his personal testimony there. There were some things in there that were, that he had some truth sprinkled in and, and amidst his personal testimony, but there was no presentation of the gospel. I mean, I I struggled um, sad to say, I struggled. I so wanted to hear a presentation of the gospel, but I didn't hear it. So there were things that he said during his personal testimony that I wanted to draw attention to in this video. So he talked about how he was a cage fighter and that God told him that he want, wanted him to preach. And, and Daniel said this to God when he said the Lord ta- called him to ministry and called him to preach. Uh, I actually used to be a cage fighter. 
That was my dreams and aspiration. So when Jesus called me as a preacher, I said, what? Seriously, man. I was like, hold on, dude. I said, literally, you're like wanting me to like do this preaching deal. Like I beat people in the face, man. You know, that's what I do for fun. Actually, I wanted to do it for a living. My heart was to be a UFC champion. I'm talking in the days of like the GSPs and the Anderson Silvas, you know, those type of things. So, yeah, it kind of struck me that he, again, he talked to God as, hold on, dude, talk to him like that. Again, that may be a, a minor point to most people that may be, you know, splitting hairs. But I, again, I just find it irreverent to talk to God like that. He said he can make your, that God can make your sin a win. Um, I don't know what he means by that, so I just wanted to mention that. But he goes on to talk about different things that I just don't agree with, about that that we actually have the keys, that Jesus gave us the keys to sin and death. Scripture doesn't say that. I would encourage you to read Revelation 118. Um, but there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus gives us the keys um, to, to sin and death. Um, we're given the keys again to minister the gospel, to confirm that those who do not receive uh, salvation through Christ are going to be punished, uh, eternally punished, and those that receive Christ will receive eternal life. That's the keys that the church has been given. But uh, he holds the keys to sin and death and hell. He says he said yes to Jesus as a child in 1999, uh, praying at five to be a pastor. So that's where he marks the fact that he came to Christ. Again, there's no mention of repentance, of hearing the gospel, of understanding the the sorrow of sin and rebellion against God and realizing his need for a savior. Now, he does mention about the ca- cross of Calvary. He talks about seeing uh, the uh, a music video um, uh, and talks about seeing uh, Jesus depicted at the cross of Calvary. Calvary and that this emotionally had an impact on him. But there's no mention of the gospel. Uh, he talks about being tormented by Jesus in his calling to, to walk in the ways of God. But anyway, I said that prayer. And then I noticed in 1999, when I got that seed in my heart up to that point, when I was a cage fighter, people wouldn't leave me alone, even in prison, when I was a CEO about Jesus, man, he kept tormenting me. You hear that? The devil was already, he didn't have to torment me. Jesus said, I'm going to torment you till you say yes to him. You know why? There's a verse in the Bible that says, nobody can pluck them from my hand. Do you hear that? If you're given to Jesus, if you've given yourself to him, he will always snatch you back. Now, I I want to say something real quick about that because he's referencing John 10. Just as a reminder, when you read that chapter in context, when Jesus is talking about no one can snatch them out of my hand, when he's talking about John ten twenty seven that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, and that all the Father has given to me that I, I don't I don't lose that 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 no one can snatch them out of my hand my nor the Father's hand my Father and I are one. That whole passage is in context to salvation and to eternal security. By the way. And that gets people riled up when you tell them about that. But I believe that my salvation is secure. I can't lose my salvation because my salvation is based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is not based on anything I've done. And if it is based on some, uh, on what I've done, then I am in trouble. I'm in massive trouble if my salvation is based on what I have done. My salvation, your salvation is based on Christ alone and what he did, the work that he did. There should be there there should be joy rejoicing in that and not this whole again this whole um straw man argument of go, well that just gives you the license to do whatever you want. No, because I realize my life is not my own and I don't belong to myself. That helps me to give me gives me great joy that what Christ did is sufficient. And then I rest upon what he did, and that from there, I know that my life does not belong to me anymore, and that I am to live for him daily, and to die daily, and to understand that I've been justified before the Father as a one-time thing, once for all, and then I am walking through this progressive journey of spiritual maturity called sanctification that the Holy Spirit is guiding me through. And and I'm daily having to understand that I have to come before the Lord and repent daily because there are things that I do in thought and word and deed that are not according to God's perfect ways. I am not perfected on this side of the cross. We are not perfected on this side of the cross. In eternity, we will be glorified. We will be free from the presence of sin. So again, a whole other topic for another day, and I'm actually going to touch on this in just a minute because there's this whole second blessing belief that is in this the charismatic movement 
of the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's some of the things that Daniel Adams believes. I don't know, but I'm just drawing some conclusions from this. And I could be wrong in this and what I'm thinking, but I want to share it with you because he talks about this. He likens being saved to truly surrendering to God. And you'll hear others, Catherine Crick, and I think Isaiah, I've heard him say this before, and other, and several of these that also um, go into this deliverance ministry belief, but they talk about this surrendering to God and having true holiness and consecration and not sinning. And um, if you believe that you have sinless perfection on this side of the cross, that's actually Pelagianism, which is rejected as true biblical uh, doctrine and teaching. But that's what he likens to when he says truly surrendering. And this could mean uh, being used to, for signs and wonders, being undignified in your understanding um, as far as how you conduct yourself and worship and other things, giving um, your dreams to God. Some people will say that. He said that during his testimony that I, I finally surrendered all my dreams to God because God said, do you, are you finally going to do this? He talks about the, I mean, just different aspects of this about the, he talks about the fascination that he had with the demonic as a kid and that he had an encounter with a minister to be filled with the spirit and nothing happened. And then in his shower uh, is when uh, the water temperature changed and he began to physically feel something. And that's when he started speaking in tongues. He talked about going out and, and sitting in trees and looking for signs from God and looking in the sky and laying down for three hours and obeying God. And, you know, all these, these things that, that are considered in these circles as being radical. You know, if you talk about all these things that you do, then these radical things that you do, then that's what it almost looks like that you're stepping forward more and more day by day into this perfected state. But again, your salvation is based on what Christ did. And then from there, true sanctification is knowing day by day, I'm walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord, growing the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm reading his word daily. I'm hiding it in my heart. I'm understanding what his word says. I'm submitting myself to his word. I'm wanting to be led. I'm being led by the spirit and not by the flesh, knowing that there are going to be days that you are led by the flesh. And what do you do? You're able to go to the throne of grace and to, to approach his throne of grace with confidence because of Christ, because of Christ and what he did and knowing that he's ever interceding for you. And you know what? You and I should be very thankful that Jesus Christ is ever interceding for us. He is the final high priest. He is the ultimate high priest, and we need him interceding for us. Why? Because we fall short daily. We sin daily. I'm not talking about willfully sinning or living a lifestyle where you know that you're living in sin, and you do it anyway, regardless of knowing what the Word of God says about it. But we, I mean, we can even become angry with people. We can lose our tempers and not be patient with people. You know what? That's sinful. And that's not be, to be condemning because we know what Romans 8, 1 says. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has set us free from all of this. He has given us power over sin. And we, we can walk in the power over sin through the Holy Spirit and through understanding his word. And, you know, that's something I've talked about deliverance ministry, too. And some of these guys, they don't like it when people, whether you're a cessationist or you're uh, um, agnostic about the spiritual gifts or wherever you are in this, whenever you start questioning deliverance ministers, the hackles come up because it immediately they want to immediately put up these straw men and say, well, you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't believe in God and you don't believe that God does anything today and you don't believe all this and that because you're questioning questioning them and you're testing them. And I just want to say again, if the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to save you, he's powerful enough to deliver you. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God and he is not going to cohabit with a demon in a born again believer. And if anything, scripture should encourage us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So I know <laughs> I'm getting on my soapbox about this again, and I'm probably, this is a horse, this is a hill I'm going to die on, and I'm going to beat this horse to death uh, with the deliverance ministry thing, but it is it brings such bondage to people. And it, it is a teaching that is running rampant through these circles. But I mention this because he touts himself as a deliverance minister. And he believes that if you're not doing this, that, that, that you're not preaching the gospel. And you can look at videos that he does this. He's alluding to this. But it's never a 
a clear presentation of the gospel in accordance with scripture. It's always, well, you got to be doing these signs and wonders or you're not really preaching the gospel. And he even says in his videos, he says, I will not be friends with cessationists. Does he consider them brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, that's a question I have for him. He talked about that in the Red October prophecy. He says, I will not be friends with cessationists because they are leading people to hell. That's a strong statement that you're making. Prove that they're not ministering the gospel because his understanding, it leaves this open for the reference to if he believes that they're leading them to hell, then he believes they're preaching a false gospel. He believes that you must have signs and wonders in order to preach the gospel. Now, if I again, if I'm misunderstanding that, someone correct me on that. I'll be glad to be corrected on that. I've listened to him talk about this, and it seems like he's alluding to that, that the gospel means signs and wonders. That's not the gospel. And if you want to talk about a sign and wonder, let's talk about the greatest sign and wonder that happened, which is, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ after he was dead for three days, because this gives us the glorious promise of eternal life through the gospel, which is laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that Jesus Christ died in accord for our sins in accordance with scripture, he was buried and he was he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Uh, this is a great summation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. We are to preach Christ and him crucified. And this is what we talk about. And we need to understand the resurrection because this is the promise that we will not spiritually die. That we will live with God forever and we will enjoy him forever. Amen and amen. So, back off the soapbox and back onto this. He he goes on just to continue to talk about some of these things, about his personal stories, his zeal. And listen, I applaud him for his zeal. I applaud that he is passionate about these things. Again, I can understand and relate to being passionate about these things. But if your passion and your zeal is, is an error, then that's not doing much of any good. So we need to be passionate and be zealous for the things of God in accordance with his word, rightly divided. Um, and he talks about dreams about uh, that he had about America and shambles and people going to Jerusalem. And he saw Jesus come down in this dream. And he had a second dream where he was on the American, the old television show, America's Funniest Home Videos. And he was told to use the internet. And then later on, he talks about how he finally came back to God, that it was an on and off thing, that he ran from God and ran from his call. And he finally came back. And he says that God told him, thanks for remembering me. And I, I just... I struggle with that because, again, it's appealing to this whole thing of this hearing the voice of God for yourself and saying God is almost thanking you, a sinner, for remembering him. Nowhere in scripture are you going to see God say something like that to a believer. Thanks for, thanks for remembering me. Thanks for remembering me. Thank you for letting me in. God is never going to do that. And he's never going to apologize for anything. I've heard someone else say that God apologized for someone else's sin. God is not going to do that. God owes no apology and he owes no thanks. He is God. We are to thank him and we are to ask him for forgiveness. It is not the other way around. And this, it's so Luciferian to have that type of mindset because then it's putting you in the position of being God. It, like God needs you. God God needs a human being to do something um, legally in this earth. Says what Bible verse? Oh, this stuff, this stuff. It just gets me riled up. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to tone it down a bit. <laughs> Try to tone it down and rein it in. So anyway, that kind of, that kind of gives you an idea of his uh, personal testimony. And I will have the link to that if you want to watch that in context, because I want to present that not as a reputable source to study, but I want to leave it there for fairness and objectivity. So that way you can know that I'm representing what he's saying correctly. Now, he does talk, again, he talks about true healing, transformation, deliverance, and he diminishes the church in saying, you know, that we don't need 30-minute messages anymore. This is going back to the Red October prophecy, by the way. My apologies for not making that clear. But he says, we don't need that anymore. Um, he says, we need holiness and righteousness as a standard, and that people need to know that we have hell to lose and a heaven to gain. Now, I wanted to read this article from 
another uh, the source gotquestions.org. And if you haven't checked this out, this is a really good source to go to. And if you have questions, they usually have a, a good summation on here to get you started if you're doing Bible study and things and to give you some perspective to understand things biblically a little bit better. So I typed this in about, is there a second blessing? Now, I know he didn't mention this, but this is understood in some of the Pentecostal and charismatic circles about the second blessing. And this is um, referred to as like the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Spirit and that sinless perfection. Some people refer to it as that. It seems that there's a misunderstanding of sanctification, as I uh, talked about a few minutes ago, because people will talk about, well, you need to be consecrated. Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride, and you need to consecrate yourself, and you need to get more holy, and you need to purify yourself. So again, it's rely- it's a heavy reliance on you to do something. But this article talks about that that uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, is generally credited with originating the term second blessing. And he taught that the second blessing was an act of God whereby a believer was granted deliverance from both inward and actual sin. And it says, while his language can at times be confusing, it is apparent that Wesley did not hold to the modern concept of sinless perfection, but rather acknowledged that believers should grow to a point of being wholeheartedly devoted and obedient to Christ. He believed this, quote, perfection could be attained either by a gradual growth in grace or by an instantaneous second work of grace. Wesley was clear that even the instantaneous blessing was both preceded and followed by gradual growth in grace. His emphasis was on the need for individuals to desire and pursue God's work in their hearts so that their every thought and act would be according to his will. They talk about sanctification. It's important to note, as I mentioned a little bit ago, that there is a difference between justification and sanctification. And justification is the is a one-time thing that happens at the moment of salvation when we are born again. And then sanctification, this is something that's a continual process in the life of a believer, continual call to spiritual maturity. And the reason for being continually filled or the the process of sanctification, so the Holy Spirit can assist us in obeying the will of the Father. As we go on through this prophetic word from Daniel Adams, about the 15, 50 minute mark, he goes into saying that that Christians shouldn't bicker over things. And this is what he had to say in particular about demons and tongues and and such. It's time to let people know there's a hell to lose and a heaven to gain. All right. There's enough this this bickering over whether Christians can have demons and stuff. That stuff has to stop. This denominational mess, that has to stop. This battling of speaking in tongues is for today or not. And if the gifts are for that, that has to stop. Look, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not friends with cessationists. I'm not going to be a friend with a cessationist because they're going to be the ones that get people trapped in hell because they're not not moving in power and they're trying to actually pull power from the church. I don't want anything to do with those people. But I'll pray for them and I pray that they come to the knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and they understand that, that Christ has power. Yes, Christ does have power, and Romans 1, 16, 17 tells us uh, we're not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, the power of the gospel. His view of the true gospel seems to be that you must have signs and wonders. But it seems interesting to me that he's saying, you know, we need to quit bickering over these things, and he's actually contradicting his statement of bickering and disagreement and it needing to stop. He does go on to say that we can be like Moses as the mouthpiece and speak to the Lord when in prayer and that he believes that October is a very serious month. He says near the end that he he wants people to take heed to his word. And I again, I mentioned he, he talks about the nuclear thing. So that was one of the buckshots that he sent out during this October uh, prophecy. Now, yesterday he did ad- address this and he believes that the whole talk of nuclear from uh, Russia and the Ukrainian war that's going on and different things, he believes that that was com- confirmation of his word. Well, of course he would because he put out so many different buckshots that it had to hit something. So the fact that, that nuclear is being brought up, which this should not be new news to everybody. I mean, some of this stuff, you can easily look it up online. It's not prophetic. It's not foretelling. This is stuff that is obvious that's going on. So please don't don't believe this stuff when people say this. I mean, we need to be using common sense when, when people are saying things like this. This is not a prophetic word. This is something that he just buckshot out there and it hit something. And so now people are holding on to this. 
So he wanted uh, he, he wants people to take heed to his word and pray and th- that things can shift. He talked about he had a dream in 2011 that Jesus would return, which he mentioned in his testimony. But he also says at the end of this prophetic word that if he missed it, he would admit it and repent and shoot again next time is what he says. Well, there's a problem with this. And, it's, and the problem lies in the fact that people believe that modern prophecy today can be fallible. And I used to teach the same thing. I used to think I could teach people how to practice to prophesy. This is not taught in Scripture. The problem is, again, it goes back to if you think that prophecy can be fallible because we're under a New Testament, the the dispensation of grace and that, that prophecies change from the Old Testament, there's no uh, indication that prophecy has changed from the Old Testament to New Testament, and you believe that people can just miss it today and it's okay and that they're not a false prophet, that doesn't line up with Scripture either. And we've t- I've talked about this in other episodes as well, so I'm not going to belabor this point. I will say this. We, we see that there are Old Testament prophets that were accurate and that the Holy Spirit didn't abide in them like He does in the New Testament, in this covenant now, but they were able to be fully accurate as Old Testament prophets, but yet the New Testament, the gift of prophecy got worse, just like with deliverance ministry. I mentioned this the other day in an interview I did about this. Um, I, I would like someone, one of these deliverance ministers, to explain why deliverance today is worse than it was in Jesus's earthly ministry, in the, uh, the apostolic age when the apostles were ministering. Why is it worse today? Why is it worse? Why is it taking longer? Why are people getting partially delivered? Why is it worse? That is a question they need to answer. It is the elephant in the room um, because that is a huge problem that they have in the ministry now. So some closing thoughts, some closing thoughts on this. Now that we've come to the end of this, what is the problem here? Well, the problem is, is that the the gospel has not been presented. I mean, he talked about all these different aspects and, and these things. And the fact of the matter is, again, it was a buckshot prophecy. And he talked about prophets, and I think it's important to go back and, and I would encourage you, read Jeremiah 23 and what God said had to say about the prophets that were pointing to their dreams and their visions and what God had to say about them, because he didn't send them. He did not send them. He did not tell them to run with their visions, and yet they did in their dreams. And they led the people astray, the people of Israel, away from God. They led them to other gods. I would encourage you, read Jeremiah 23, read Jude I mean, Jude's a short letter, but it's addressing false teaching. Jude warned about these false teachers, the false prophets that were coming in and that they were relying on their dreams and that they were pointing away from, from, the, from God and that they were, they were blaspheming the glorious ones. Second Peter 2 talks about this, the false prophets that would come in as well, that they blaspheme the glorious ones. They're rebuking devils. They're, they're binding demons and they're resisting and rebuking, taking the authority they don't have. They're doing things that they don't have any understanding about is what Peter and Jude both talk about. And that they are doing things that they don't have the authority to do. Daniel Adams talked about in both videos, in the follow-up yesterday and the video he did September 16th about the Red October prophecy, which is not a prophecy, by the way. He talked about nuclear war and that, you know, if a nuclear bomb went off, that it would be devastating, that it would change things and that we don't want that. We don't want a nuclear bomb going off and it would, it would just devastate the area that it was in. It would affect everybody in the world. And yes, it could do that. Nuclear bombs have that capability to do that. And there are real threats with people that are doing such activities and they're threatening to do these things. This has been going on for a long time. This has been on the horizon for a long time. There are other things that have happened throughout history of nuclear uh, things happening, of the nuclear radiation being released. And Adams talked about this in his video. But I want to give you a different analogy. I want to give you, I want to offer an analogy that's far worse than a physical nuclear bomb going off. And it is the analogy of the spiritual nuclear bomb called sin and rebellion that went off in the garden a long time ago, and it brought spiritual death. That is far worse. Physical death is nothing compared to the the eternal death that one could face and have eternal separation apart from Christ and be cast into hell for all eternity at the great white throne judgment because they rebelled and sinned against God and they rejected Christ as their atonement for their sin. 
And I think that what's glaringly missing from what Daniel Adams is saying in this video is he is not proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not proclaiming repent and believe, though those words may be used repentance here and there and mentioned about sin and stuff that there is still no presentation of the gospel in accordance with scripture. We are told that none is righteous, no, not one. Romans talks about this, that no one searches for God, no one. We have all turned to our own way, and we have all broken God's law. We have sinned against God, we've rebelled against Him, and when we are apart from Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. Scripture says this, but Romans 5 goes on to say, because of what Christ did, that we have this assurance it says, therefore, in Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. My friend, that is what we were saved, that's what we're saved from, is from the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath, apart from Christ, because of our sin and rebellion against God. We deserve God's wrath and judgment because God is a just God. And he did, if he did not punish sin, he would be unjust. But thanks be to Christ, for God the Father sending his Son to do what we could not do and to atone for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. And because he was dead, he was, he was crucified and he was buried and he rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the father and he lives forever and ever. He gives us the eternal security and the promise of eternal life. And the call is to repent and believe on him who died in our place and who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he delivers us from the wrath of God. He delivers us. He sends his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to dwell within us and to lead us into truth and to help us to understand his word and to be led by him and by his word and to continue to to walk in his ways and to glorify him and to have victory in this life, to understand that our Redeemer, he has conquered Satan. Satan is a defeated foe does not mean that we are not going to face trials and difficulties. It does not mean that the enemy is not going to try to oppose us in any way while we're in this world. But we have the glorious, joyful news, the good news of the gospel, and we cling to that. We cling to Christ, and we know that he holds on to us, and that we understand that even if we go through difficulties and trials and, and, and hardships in this world, because of a fallen world, and because the enemy has been, though defeated, he still tries to go around and devour, we have victory through Christ because Christ has already given us victory. It is his work that we depend upon. It is his victory that we take refuge in and that we rejoice in. This is what needs to be the, the more sure word that needs to be shared, the prophetic word. This is what needs to be spread throughout the whole globe. This is what people need to be focusing on. People need deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal death. They don't need to hear about some word you think you're hearing from God that has to do with a, a movie that was made in the 1990s starring Sean Connery. That's not what they need to hear. And they don't need to hear about you Googling something and talking to God and saying, hey, dude, how about you give me some more insight on what this word is? And you saying that you're having these conversations with God and having these vain imaginations and leading people away from Christ and instead leading them to his word, which is what you should be doing. You don't need to be paying attention to these words. And it seems kind of a, a, a paradox, doesn't it? Because I'm having to listen, I'm taking time to listen to these things and I'm presenting this to you because I'm hoping that there's people that they're listening to this, that maybe they're, that the light bulb is going off 
that that something is clicking and you're going, yeah, I don't need to be listening to this stuff anymore. I need to be getting back to the word of God. I need to make sure that I'm staying in the truth of the word and not despising prophecy. You want to talk about not despising prophecy? Let's start with not despising the word, the more sure word of prophecy that was given to us and not diminishing it and saying, well, we need something fresh. We need a new word when we don't even know what the written word of God says to begin with. Some people will say, well, you don't need to be despising prophecy. You're despising what Daniel Adams said. No, I'm testing what Daniel Adams said, and I'm finding that it's not matching up with scripture, and it's distracting and leading people away from scripture, the more sure word of prophecy. And what I'm finding is is that people seem to be denigrating the word of God and saying, well, people say it's just the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Really? Do you want to go there with that? Do you, do you want to have that mindset of, of diminishing God's word and you needing something fresh all the time? That's, a, that's really adopting the type and shadow of what the Israelites did in the, in the desert when they were facing judgment and they didn't want the manna every day. I mean, we can look at it that way and see that there's a type and shadow there of that sinful nature of what God supplies us with is just not enough, that it's not sufficient. And I would encourage you and urge you, if you are following these people in these movements, you need to be testing what they're saying and using great caution in listening to these people and putting weight on their words. And I would caution these leaders that are coming out with these, quote, fresh prophetic words and that you're leading people to listen to you and you're not ministering what the word of God says and you're not ministering the gospel in accordance with scripture, but you're ministering in accordance with your personal experiences. You're leading people away from Christ and you need to repent and Come back to the saving faith of Christ and back to the word of God. And you need to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. I hope that you found this challenging, encouraging, and that it just drives you further and further to continue to be a student of the Word of God as you should be, and to hold people accountable when they say things like this in love and truth. And I look forward to being with you next week as we look at another topic. Be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.